Well, this morning we start in on a new series. And I'm excited about this. This is going to take us all the way up to Thanksgiving, which, you know, then it's seasonal. Then you got to do the Thanksgiving thing. And then you got to do that Christmas thing after that. So I'm actually very excited about this series. I don't usually teach a series like this. And it's going to be challenging for me. At the same time, it's going to be incredibly beneficial for all of us. You know, football season is around the corner. Does it actually start today? Is there an actual football game on TV today? I need some of my sports people in the house. I think the Packers play a preseason today, right? So, you know, one of the things about sports is that you've got to have your foundation. You've got to have those essentials ready to go. If you don't, you can't advance past that. It's not going to work. So we're going to do a sermon series called The Essentials. All right? And you can see here, let me click up. You can see this is just takes us through week six. That's maybe the end of September. And we'll go to mid-November. So the essentials of the faith. Today we start on that wonderful topic that everybody's so excited to be here for, which is what? Oh, say it like you mean it. Sin. We only have so much time for sin, so let me make sure I remind myself of that um, as we get ready to do all this. Uh, This morning, as we do so, open up your Bibles, because we're going to be be through a lot of Scripture. Is there anyone who needs a Bible? Raise your hand. (laughs) Anybody? Okay. All right. Fantastic. Well, as we get ready for this, we're talking about sin. Let me take us into some ideas. Because this is what happens when we talk about sin. We don't like using the word sin, do we? No. See, we use words like a dark place. I've been in a very dark place lately. How many of you have, don't say it, don't, no, but you know. What else might we supplant? I've had a failure. I've had a failure, right? And um, if you're visiting today, hang on just a second. If you're visiting today, we don't normally do this. You'll get the point. Just hang on. Don't leave yet. All right, back to what we're doing. Uh, You know, some people will just say, you know, I had a failure. Uh, Sometimes we'll say to someone that we have sinned against, okay, I get it. I what? I I hurt you, right? Uh, What else do we often... I committed a what? An offense. It's still so legal. It's like Dragnet. You guys remember Dragnet? No, I'm dating those in the room, right? Uh, let's see. Oh, this one. Uh, I, this is just a great one. Because it comes with like such, like no guilt whatsoever. It's so easy to say, I had an indiscretion. I had an indiscretion. You know what? Usually this gets lumped in with cheating on your spouse, right? I had an indiscretion. If, if that, God willing, it never happens to you, but my advice is if somebody says in their response, I had an indiscretion, it may be legally underneath God's economy to slap them. <laughs> All right? I, I'm not sure that may be me <laughs> saying that and not the Scriptures. Uh, how many of you, th- this is what we say. I had a mistake. It was a mistake, right? Or maybe we say it was an accident. I'm here to tell you today that even if you say it was a misstep, it was an accident, a mistake, an offense, all of that, 
or a regret, can I just encourage you? There's a reason we substitute those words. They're much easier than saying I sinned. They're much easier. We have a disconnect problem. A very large disconnect problem. I'm going to ask, Carl, would you please remove this gentleman off the stage? Come up here. Come up here. And if you could please remove my nephew from the stage. Thank you. This is going to work better than I thought it would. We have a problem. We don't like to acknowledge sin, do we? How many of you wondered, how many of you actually started taking bets on what the over-under was on how many times he was going to hit me with paper? We do that with sin, don't we? We walk through our days and we act like nothing is wrong. And we pacify it, we excuse it, we color it, we dress it up, we ignore it, right? Some of those actually hurt, Austin. And there's sin all around me. Now that seemed pretty ludicrous, didn't it? And yet this is what we do with sin. We've gotten comfortable with it. And it's destroying us. It's destroying us. If I'm going to preach a series on the essentials, we have to start with sin. Reason? If there is no sin there's no reason for Christ to come. If there is no sin, there's no reason for Christ to die on the cross. If there is no sin, there was no reason for Christ to die on the cross. And if there's no reason to die on the cross, there's no reason to raise from the grave. There's no reason for us to be here if there is no sin. If the world around you and I is doing so swimmingly well, There's no need for Christ. Right? But we don't like to acknowledge sin. Friends, it's destroying us. So let's start with this. Sin, a clear and present danger. The reality of sin, is it clear to you? Is it clear to you that sin really exists? We've got to start there if we're talking about the essentials. Well, let's just look at the smell test, shall we? I'm losing my hearing. I, actually, it's kind of fun because I am actually kind of losing my hearing, but not that bad. But it's kind of fun making my kids repeat themselves even when I did hear what they were saying. Just for, Now, that one's over, right? They're never going to repeat themselves ever. But what's happened is, while I've lost this sense, it's like become like super magnified in my nose. I smell things in the house I smell things in my car. I smell things here right now that are not that great, and some things are great. Maybe it's all the sin around me. I don't know. Does it pass the smell test? How about politics? That's a big righteous one, isn't it? 
That's a shame. We are a laughing stock as a people when it comes to our political leaders. Why? Because of indiscretions? Uh Uh-huh. Because of corruptness? Yeah, uh uh-huh. We could keep going on and on and on. Do you know why politics will never work well for everybody? Because at its heart, it's run by whom? People. (laughs) Don't separate yourselves. It's run by people. That's the biggest flaw. And when you add power into that, you run into the problem of sin. Racial tensions all throughout right now. Racial tensions all over our nation. At at its heart is what? Sin. Corruption. Abuse. The Raiders. (laughs) How'd that get up there? Let's move on. I don't know how that made it up there. Of course, they chose black as their color, so I can't really say anything else about that. Just the truth is the truth. Turn in your Scriptures to 2 Timothy. I'm going to give you a picture here that was written almost 2,000 years ago. And tell me if the reality of sin, the smell test of sin, strikes true with this prophetic word by Paul, by the Apostle Paul. He says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Are we there yet? For people will be lovers of self. It starts there. This is the biggest issue with sin, and you'll see it coming up. So, are you with me so far? Can I get a hallelujah? All right, get a witness here. Lovers of money, what? Now, you just made Damien look like he's the only lover of money. Either we have full participation or none at all. So, lovers of self? You can say, oh yeah, you can say bring it, you can, whatever you want. Uh, lovers of money? Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Are we there yet? If, if that doesn't convince you, let's go to Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been... By the way, if you're visiting, I don't normally... I, I just kind of was infused with the spirit of Dr. Ironside there. I just kind of felt it from you guys, so I went there. Paul says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Great message. For there is no distinction. Now here we go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is the key. Let's just stop there for a second, folks, because this is not a horizontal comparison plane. When we get into the horizontal comparison plane, it allows someone to stand to our left and keep pelting us with damaging goods. Because as long as we're not getting pelted as bad as the next guy, we give it permission. Does that sound familiar? You see, it's not about a horizontal plane comparison. It is about a vertical, divine understanding. 
our relationship, our whole purpose in life is about the glory of God. When we get that in alignment, when we get that figured out, then we suddenly start to understand and get a proper perspective, essential proper perspective of sin and what it does in our life. And going on, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what do we learn so far? We learned that, boy, we certainly seem to be in sinful times. It's all around us. We've qualified in the smell test by every single thing Paul said to Timothy was going to happen. We also know that Paul says that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and it leaves us in need because of sin. James 1, 14-15, have you ever wondered how this works? Are you that person, that guy, that gal, that you get something and you want to tear it apart to figure out how it works? That happens for me, but then I try to put it back together and it doesn't work. This is how sin works. But every or each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Desire. By the way, whose desire? Our own. Right? How many of us remember this statement, the devil made me do it? Right? That's so fun saying it. Right? And sometimes that is the factor. We'll see as we, we move through this stuff. But there's another aspect. If you want to know how sin works, how sin grabs us, how sin holds us and affects us and destroys us, you have to be very much aware that we have ownership in there. We have ownership in there. Great line in not such a great movie. <laughs> I went with um, the younger generation. Uh, my nephews and my kids, we went to a a movie that's out right now, and it's, it's all about celebrating the bad guys. And the bad guys are supposed to be the good guys. And spoiler alert, there's a part in the movie where one of these guys just doesn't do their superhuman thing because it's just too bad. And they end up in this calm situation in the midst of, like, you know, the world is ending. And they all start questioning him, and he does something so bad that even the bad guys are blown away. And one of them says, you got to own, I won't use the other word they use, but you got to own that. You see, even the world, at some point, says we have to own our decisions and how sin affects us and others and the consequences of sin. So it says what? But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived. You see the progression? Now, we might have desire. Have we sinned yet? We haven't sinned yet. Right? So he's lured and enticed by his own desire. We haven't sinned yet. But then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. There's a progression to sin and in our battle of, of sin. John 1, First <clears throat> uh, John 1, 5-10. through 10, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellow... Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. We're, this is getting a little challenging. You see, John's writing to a bunch of believers early on in the, in the birth of the church and they're getting confused because they're following starting to follow other messages, ungodly messages. And those messages want to disqualify sin. They want to say sin has no power over you. And that actually, if you're just smart enough, if you have enough knowledge, 
that sin can't affect you. And sin is really non-existent. You reach this other plane or something like that. And so John has to write a letter to them saying, no, 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 no. Look, here's the reality. Sin exists. And there's a process to knowing how to deal with sin. And so he says, if we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie, we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, again, point of emphasis, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. To deny that sin is real. This is what John's trying to say. To deny that sin is real is antithetical to who God is. And it's an anathema, a big word for it. It's a punch in the face to Jesus Christ and His incredible sacrifice of love for which we just celebrated. If sin is not real, there is no need for the cross. There's no need for the resurrection. And by the way, there's no need for Jesus. So let's make sure that we get the smell test right. Let's make sure that we're clear on this first point. Sin is real. And it desires to consume us. It desires to destroy us. Just in case, let's, let's, let's check one more thing. You just turn the page in your Bible to the very next chapter. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not what? You may not sin. Right? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the big shun word. We love those shun words. We don't, it's kind of like a Twinkie, right? The back of the Twinkie has so many words in there or Mountain Dew that you have no idea what they are. They just sound like they're dangerous, right? So, you know, justification, sanctification, right? And here we have propitiation. It's almost like I'm French. Didn't it sound a little French there? It just simply means payment. It means payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the world. Again, let's be clear. Sin is real, and it seeks to destroy us. And if time allows, I'll take you to my favorite story that sets up the most clear understanding of God, sin, and man. And it's in Genesis 4. If not, we'll get to it next week. So let's, let's define this. What is sin? Well, I'm going to give you these big fat words that belong in the back of a Twinkie thing again, right? And so they really don't matter to you because you don't talk Greek. But we have one word for sin. Now, how many former Catholics or current Catholics are in the room? Raise your hand. By the way, I'm not going to, I'm not going to charge you. We're not going to do confession, none of that. I just, you know, all right? So there's quite a few of us in the room. Now, you guys know that sin is categorized in two ways within the Catholic doctrine. What are those? Mike, Mike Redlick, what are those? Mortal sins and venial sins, right? So hamartia, that's a Greek word for missing, it's the idea of missing the mark. You're, you're, you're at a dartboard and you're throwing, and just like my children, they hit the wall every time. Not the dartboard. I'll show you the wall in my house. Just request it. And we all laugh until somebody's got to spackle the wall. Acts of omission or commission against God's standard. Remember, 
Romans said that we all fall short of the glory of God. That's what this sin is. So sometimes we may do it because we know God's standard and we just kind of ease into it. It's not like a rebellious spirit. It's more like a passive rebellious spirit. Then there's those times where we do, how many of you have driven in an area, gotten a ticket? I know you're going to raise your hand on this one. You've gotten a ticket and you get pulled over and the wonderful uh, civil servant comes up to your window and says, Somebody in this room just ratted out their mom. They're literally pointing at their mom. <laughs> I have never had that happen. It's going to go unnamed. I'm not going to say who it was, but we have the video. Tune in later. <laughs> www. No. The policeman comes up to the side of the window and he says to you, What? Do you know how fast you're going? Well, sure, officer. I was going. And you say, he says, do you know it's a 35 zone? I had no idea. (laughs) Right? And he says back to you, or she says back to you, that's amazing. How do you spell your last name? And you're thinking, that's not fair. I didn't what? I didn't know. I didn't see the sign. Well, that sounds like personal testimony right there. I'm just kidding. That would be a sin of omission. Understand? Because of our lack of understanding of what God's standard is. By the way, there's really one good way to fix this. And we'll see it later in in 1 John. And it's riddled throughout Scripture of the New Testament. If If you obey my commandments, you will abide with me. He who loves me does what? Obeys my what? Commandments. So what do you need to know? You need to know what God's instruction is, what God's standard is. So that's how we have sins of omission or commission. This would be a venial or venial sin, according to the Catholic Church. Romans 5.12, we'll get to it in a second. Parabasis is very different. It is a willful breaking or transgression. It's saying, look, here's this line, and I'm going to go over it. In Greek theater, it was the whole company that was on the stage would kind of take an intermission, and they would go off stage. They They would go over the line of visibility. And so in the context of what the, uh, the writer is saying is that they're going to use this word because you know you're leaving. You know you're going out of safe territory. You know you are transgressing and you are making a very clear decision to do so. Make sense? Okay. Let me get uh, uh, these, these other. And so that could branch into a mortal sin. Uh, uh, paraptima, right? A slip-up. There's, there's, there's our first slide today. Oops, I made a mistake. But it, it, it's part of it, right? Is it, I just, I, it wasn't willful. It wasn't that I was really like focused on doing it. It, it just kind of, I did something wrong. And I feel badly about it. Uh, Asebia, just straight out and out wickedness. Straight out and out wickedness. This would fit more on that mortal sin idea. So looking at the idea of sin and man, the fall resulted in the curse of man and nature. Genesis 3, 1-19. through 19. We have to go to the fall to see where this all started and how it relates to man. So Genesis 3, 16-19. I just put up a certain portion of Genesis 3. He's already cursed the snake. They're in the garden. God gave them instruction, do not eat of this particular tree. The enemy, the serpent, 
Satan comes along and starts using logic and starts using questions to confuse. Right? And so he comes to Eve and says, did God really say that? Hey, the reason he said it is because he knows the moment you do it, you're going to be just like him. And wouldn't it be a great thing just to be like God? See how that works? The manipulation. And so Eve does what? She takes the fruit, and not only that, then she turns to her husband and says, hey, look at this, this is good. And this thing came along and it said it's okay. And we think that's ridiculous. What do you listen to the thing for? But how often do we sit and let things come into our life and seduce us into making choices that are against God's standard? And so the result was the moment they ate of that fruit, their eyes were opened and they realized that they had sinned. And so they hid from God. You want to know what one of the main results of sin is? Is that man wants to hide from God. Why do we have a society right now that is so anti-God? Because it is so pro-sin. And if you're going to be pro-sin, you are going to be anti-God. And so, for the woman, her curse is pain in childbirth. And then secondly, her desire, her, her um, um, forceful, willful, moment-by-moment, uh, moment, um, focused agenda is probably the best way for me to help you understand what he's trying to communicate here. Her desire will be for her husband. And that reads a little bit different in our language. That's, not, well, that's a great thing. That's like a marriage conference. That's not what God's saying here. It's saying that she wants to dominate her partner. And we live in the day and age where they're saying, we've got to stop listening to men who want to dominate their partner. Well, it's all part of the curse. Each person wants their what? Their own agenda. Rather than working as a team, which is what God had set up in the first place. This is part of the curse. And for Adam, well, poor Adam, he's cursed to the whole idea. And by this way, by the way, it translates to all mankind. You're never going to enjoy work again. It's not going to come easy. It's going to be very, very difficult. I would love to know what God's work pre-fall looked like. Right? Where it just, it wasn't hard. It wasn't disturbing. It wasn't discouraging. Can you imagine doing your job or your work or, or the house or whatever and every little thing works perfectly? That was not me yesterday. Friday, I'm driving, taking my daughter down to, uh, to a volleyball practice. And on sabbatical, my window, driver's side window, broke on my car. And uh, I, I'm thinking, not a big deal. I'm very experienced in replacing window regulators. So I ordered the part on Amazon, God's territory, right? No, I'm just kidding. That might have been sinful right there. Um, got the part and installed it, and it worked great until Friday. And I hit the button, and... <laughs> Boom! The window falls down. I spent yesterday morning taking the whole assembly off and trying to get it out. And you know what? Here's the thing. You know, because of Adam's sin, it affected all of us. We own our own sin. But we are born with sin because of Adam. It's a lot like buying parts from... Well, let's just say cheaper parts. (laughs) I bought the cheaper part. And as I took that apart yesterday, one of the mechanisms was just mashed. It just couldn't hold up under the pressure. It was no good. 
it was broken. It failed. And that's what sin does to us. And because of one man's sin, we experience that ourselves, don't we? We experience that brokenness all around us. Let me move on. Sin and man, the result, we are broken and destined for destruction. And it also results in a broken world. And Romans 8 speaks about this, 18 through 21. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that has been revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Amen. As a result of sin, this world does not operate the way that God had intended it. Some of you have experienced the loss of a marriage. Some of you experienced the loss of children or grandchildren. Some of you are currently going through horrendous things because of uh, physical ailments. Some of you know people in your family that are suffering from cancer. And, and you ask, God, why does this happen? People come to you and you try to share about the love of Christ and they say, look, I tried to buy into that, but all these bad things happen all around me. And if God truly was loving, if He was all-powerful, what? This wouldn't happen. This is your answer. It is because sin entered into the world. And because of that, there is brokenness all around us. Even creation is broken. But there is an answer. Because that would be a sad, sad story if it finished there. Sin can be replaced with freedom and peace through Jesus Christ. Amen? This is what I read to you today to set out our time in communion. And look at what happens as a result of Christ. The brokenness. The way that the world is subjected to futility. Our own problems. Our own circumstances. We're left with that. We've got someone sitting off to the side just hammering us non-stop. And yet if we start to understand the essentials of the faith, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. But there's got to be a reason for that hope to be there. And that reason is my brokenness. Your brokenness. And the, the thing I want you to see here is simply this. Look at verse 14. By canceling the record of debt. If you have ever been in debt and felt that burden and that weight, and somebody just came along and paid for it, the weight lifted off your shoulders is incredible. There's a reason Paul uses this language. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside and he nailed it to the cross. This is how you defeat sin. Next week we'll talk more clearly about the danger of sin and then give you five specifics on how to make sure sin isn't sitting off to your left shoulder, pelting you over and over and over, and you just keep ignoring. By the way, did I remove my nephew off the stage? No, I called for help. Good, reliable help. That's one of the ways you combat sin. Let me share with you a letter in closing. This little girl lives in a broken world. 
this little girl is traveling back to the middle of the United States even now to a bad situation. There's not a lot of hope there. This little girl had eight weeks in our summer camp where she heard about hope and she heard about the love of Jesus every day. She wrote this letter to Jesus. It, were, it was her thoughts, and she turned to my daughter Jericho, her camp counselor, and said, would you please write this down for me? Dear Jesus, thank you for taking care of us for summer day camp. You're the best God. And you always take care of us. And Jesus Christ, I love you. And I hope anybody will be good. And Jesus Christ, I write a letter for you. And I wonder if you pick it up next time at summer day camp. And I love you, Jesus Christ. And this is a letter for you. And next time, come over and care for us. I love you, Jesus Christ. And thank you for taking care of us. You're the best God in the universe. This little girl is not cared for very well. Did you hear that? That is the power of Christ over sin. But this little girl is immersed in a world of sin. So we're going to pray for her tonight at our prayer meeting and all the other campers that came through here and the tremendous work that Jesus did. The beauty of this prayer and that Jesus would show her in the midst of her trial how old is she? Seven. In the midst of her trial and her broken world, that she doesn't have to be here for that beautiful Jesus to be with her. If there is no sin, there's no need for Jesus. But there is sin. So praise God, there's Jesus. Let me close in prayer. To you be the glory, Father. You have worked so mightily in our midst. But I pray right now for myself and for all here that we would not ignore sin in our life. And that we would work desperately hard to deal with it. And not on our own, but that we would call to the One that can remove the sin and ask that You might be our Advocate. Jesus Christ. Let us not be fools and pretend that we have no sin. Let us understand it is a clear and present danger and it is essential to our Christian walk that we know how it affects us and our relationship with You. But more than anything, Father, I praise You that through Your Son, Jesus Christ, sin has been nailed to the cross 
and our record of debt has been erased. Thank you, Father God. Amen.